0: Hi, and welcome to episode number four of the Mental Health Marriage, A Call to Growth. This is a podcast for the spouses and partners of those who are mentally ill. I'm your host, and for the sake of my husband's anonymity, you can call me M. As the spouse of a man with bipolar 2, I will share my story, my struggles, and my insights with you. And I hope to build a community where we can all laugh and cry together at the paradox and irony that mental illness can be and help each other keep it together and thrive despite the major setbacks. I believe we create our futures and that we can make better lives for ourselves and our families. So I hope everybody is having a good week. This past week was a little bit insane around here. I mentioned last week that it's both of my daughter's birthdays a day apart. So the week leading up to that, I will totally admit that I I overstretched myself. And by the time it was my first oldest daughter's birthday last Friday, I was done. I was completely at my wits end and we had family in town and in the middle of the day I was feeling so stressed and tired and worn out that I went into my room and shut the door and cried (laughs) and it was crying kind of out of guilt that I was feeling so awful on a day that's supposed to feel special and I kind of felt engulfed in my own self-pity and not able to give my daughter the attention I felt like she needed but I, after the fact, decided that I really should have just cut myself some slack. It was totally understandable why I was overwhelmed, and I, I was being a perfectionist, and <laughs> I was just trying to make the weekend perfect, and that's impossible, and there's only so clean that I can get my house, and so I really should have just cut myself some slack retrospectively, and hopefully I'll be a little better able to do that in the future. But luckily, over the course of the weekend, I was able to get some rest and some alone time, and I am feeling much better this week, which is funny because my husband and I basically just switched places. It's funny how that timing seems to happen, like one person's down and one person's up. So my husband was doing pretty well for a couple of weeks, but he told me he thinks it's because I don't know how detailed I've been about the diet he's on, but he's basically on the equivalent of the ketogenic diet, which in his case is no carbs at all and no sugars, obviously, and just high protein, high fat. And he thinks that this has helped him. I struggle to see the difference. Really, to me, it just looks like you're really skinny and you can't eat anything. (laughs) So birthdays were obviously hard because I made two amazing cakes, which I never do. So pat myself on the back there. I don't know why I needed to make two. The two-year-old's not going to remember. But I, in my mind, I was like, she deserves her own cake, too. But it's her special day. So maybe it was a cake for me. It probably was. Yep. That's really what it was. <laughs> I made a cake for myself. But anyway, so he... I didn't think that he ate birthday cake, but my in-laws took us out to eat a couple of times, and he just ate more than he usually eats, and he must have allowed himself to have a little bit of carbs, and he thinks that this sent him into a downward spiral. So the past three days, he's been really bad, and he hasn't slept. Same old story. So whenever it gets to this point, it's like I don't even want to ask. I know the answer. It's written all over his face. And I still have not figured this out. Just what are the words to say to show that I really am sorry you don't feel well right now. But when you say those words thousands of times (laughs) over the course of your relationship, they really do tend to lose their meaning. But I feel like there's a good place within me where I do mean it. It sucks that he was feeling okay and now he feels crappy again. But it's just like, hold on to your hats. Here we go again. So it's, you know, within that statement, I'm saying, I'm sorry you feel this way, but there's this extra added burden of, and now I have to deal with it. And he can sense that. So sometimes I almost feel like it's better to not say anything, but it's probably not. So again, if anyone has any good advice out there on what to say, sometimes I think the better thing is to just give him extra long hugs and maybe pick up sometimes I maybe expect too much from him with the kids last night I was I had some clients over when he got home and the kids were being crazy and (laughs) he kind of took over and when I was finished and came upstairs I could tell that it just I just needed to give him a break so I tried to but sometimes that's hard because I was done too it was the end of the day so we're just hoping that this phase will pass quickly and again he can keep he's still working on upping his dosage of lamictal while not messing with his sleep cycle so it's just again that delicate equation and here we go on another slump. I'm a little bit worried because I'm scheduled to go out of town for a week and a half coming up in the next week. Which wasn't my original plan because I am a bad travel coordinator apparently. No one should hire me to do that. <laughs> I booked the wrong air- airline ticket for my departure date. I was only supposed to be gone for four days and now I'm going to be gone for 12 days. So I'm a little worried leaving him by himself for that long. He luckily works a lot of those days. And he's got some projects to do around the house. But knowing that he's low, I'm really crossing my fingers that he comes out of it a little bit before I leave because it's not good when he's that low and he's by himself. So, fingers crossed. Anyway, so that's the update. I also find it pretty ironic, the topic that I chose for last week about parenting because this past week, I felt like everything that seemed like it was kind of in the past with my daughter. I swear it all came to the surface this week. Maybe it's just because I said it out loud, or maybe it was stressful just thinking about it, and she could read the stress. But it was a bad week with my daughter. I will be straight up honest with you. I screamed at her at the top of my lungs today, so my whole promise <laughs> I made to stop yelling at my kids. I did execute that for a while, but boy. Ugh, it's just amazing how able to push my button she is. And it's hard to remember in the heat of the moment that you're supposed to be more mature than them. And to me, what sounds like an irrational fear, I'll tell you briefly. So the problem we're having with her right now is she's afraid to be alone. But she, there's not really a good reason for this. And her definition of alone is when you're not within touching distance to her. So I could be in my bedroom and she's in the bathroom connected to my bedroom and I can see her and she's freaking out because I'm not right next to her. So this obviously is problematic because I'm not able to be next to her all day, nor do I want to because (laughs) she will probably get slapped if I'm that close to her all day. Not really, but yeah, we need distance sometimes and she needs to be independent. It's like last night she wouldn't brush her teeth by herself even though all the lights in the house were on and we were still within earshot. She wouldn't go in there by herself and it escalated and she ended up going to timeout and I don't love the concept of timeout but my husband wants to try it again and so we're sort of not on the same page about discipline. I mean, yeah. So again, even though I was giving parenting advice last week, I definitely do not have it all figured out and I am far from perfect and the struggles are real. (laughs) So again it's it's a constant thing and we're always learning okay so moving on to today's topic let's see oh i wanted to do one other thing i actually had a comment from a listener that i wanted to read So this is a listener that said, I am so glad that you're talking about parenting with family mental health issues. It's especially poignant because I feel so many parents experience large mental health challenges during our children's formative years. We're so overwhelmed by our own issues that we sometimes don't have the resources we need to parent well in that precious window of time. It's also really important that you brought up how the spouse of someone with mental illness can be affected as a parent. We sometimes see the spouse or partner as the quote normal one. But their reactions to their life and challenges have a big impact on their kids as well. They shouldn't have to handle everything alone, but they also shouldn't feel like there's nothing they need to work on. They are allowed to break, to fail, to have flaws and cracks. They don't have to be perfect just because their spouse is struggling. And they are allowed to get help. I've heard so many spouses put their own needs on hold because they think their spouse's mental illness is more pressing. That is not a good reason to neglect yourself. And it's likely to lead to resentment that damages the marriage. So really not doing anyone any good to be a martyr to the illness. Take care of yourselves. And this listener would also love to hear from someone whose kids are a little older. How is it dealing with these issues when your kids are old enough to talk about it with you? So that is a really good question. Um, Yes, my kids are still young. There's a lot of us that are just dealing with babies and toddlers. And the stress of that will break you anyway. And you add this on top of it. And we feel so ill-equipped. So how have you parents seen that play out in the lives of your older children? What have you done that's worked? What mistakes have you made? How can we all do a little better? And I think what this listener pointed out was so true. It's not doing anybody any good for you to be a martyr. It's, you need to get help. You need to get support. You need to take help when it's offered. This is a hard one for everyone. I still have that mentality of, I got this. Which I think in some ways can be empowering. Like I want to view myself as being strong. But I don't think everyone expects, me to do it alone and they're not going to look down on me for asking for help and it doesn't make me weak. I say those words out loud and I'm like asking myself, do I actually believe that? And there's a part of me that just oh, it feels so uncomfortable to even say it. So ooh, it's hard, but I, I do know that that is true. And if somebody I love came to me in a time of need asking for my help, it's a blessing to give it, and it's not putting me out, and it's such a wonderful opportunity to show love. But why is it so hard to receive? Is it lack of humility, shame? I, it's, <laughs> it's messed up, guys. <laughs> we need to do better. Okay, so on to the topic of the day. Does the phrase, I didn't sign up for this, sound familiar to any of you? You have no idea how many times I've said this to myself when it comes to my marriage. Mental illness aside, I know I'm not alone in this. Our our culture has some messed up myths about what marriage actually is and what it looks like. When you inevitably find yourself in a place of marital distress, it's not surprising that this shakes us to the very core. This is not what was supposed to happen. This isn't fair. This can't be what other people's marriages are like. I heard something really good in an audiobook I'm listening to. It's called uh, Girl Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis. A lot of you probably heard of that, but it's amazing. Ladies, check it out. But she said something to the effect of we are all members of a club that we ne- a club that we never would have signed up for on purpose. How true this is. No one would have signed their name at the bottom of a contract that says your spouse will suffer suffer with extreme mood swings and the person you know may disappear for days, weeks, or even years at a time. I would have stared them down and said, um, no thank you, I will pass. (laughs) But here we are, and what does it mean? I used to tritely say that everything happens for a reason. That's really easy to say when nothing traumatic has ever happened to you. But there are things like murder, rape, abuse, genocide, extreme poverty, and mental illness that people have that is no fault of their own, and all other horrific realities that so many people face. It is a lot harder to make that statement. With the death of my sister, I threw that right out the window. It seemed like I had a choice between, hey, God killed your sister for reasons that you're too dumb to understand, or... Stuff happens. I say stuff because I'm trying to keep this <laughs> G-rated, but stuff happens. Felt much more comfortable in my soul, but for a long time it was so hard to know what to do with it. The situation with my husband was very similar, but what I've come to believe is is that we get to choose how we react to these events. They may, in fact, actually be meaningless. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. But within the temples of our own minds, we can make that meaning. And I can make this meaning beneficial to my life and to the lives of others. So here's kind of how I look at it now. Anything that happens to you that you don't know how to deal with is a call to grow. When you're at the end of your rope, maybe that is the end of the line for the person you were, and it's the beginning of who you're meant to be. But in between where the growth happens and the place of pain and fear that you're stuck in now is a gap. And that gap requires a leap of faith. This gap is horrifying. And for me, for a while, I didn't even know it was there. I thought pain and fear were it. This is life. This is the past, the present, and the future. Welcome. Get used to it. I love this phrase, when the student is ready, the master will appear. This happened to me in so many different ways. So if you're at the end of your rope, it's time to take a leap. You are the only one who knows what that leap will look like, and you are the only person who's capable of doing it. So there were some things that happened. I've Some of this might feel like repetition, but after my sister died, there was a period of at least nine months where... Nothing got better, and it was just the absolute bottom of pain. And I don't think you can skip that when it comes to trauma. You just have to let it pass through you. You have to feel it. You have to... You can't run away from it. You can't mask it. That pain is going to be there no matter what you do. But after... And oh boy, within that pain, there was a whole lot of anger whole lot of anger, you guys. Anger at God, anger at myself, anger at my husband, anger, why did I even exist on this planet if it sucks this bad? (laughs) So I, I laugh, but I mean, it was definitely not funny at the time. It's not funny now, but it's just crazy how bad it can get and the the part that scared me the most within all of that is I knew that there were people that had it even worse than I did there was an unexpected death in my life of someone who was a giant chunk of my heart and it was for random medical reasons that we didn't foresee but I knew that there were people who had people in their life that were murdered or watching someone slowly die of cancer how hard would that be or I mean there's just so many ways where something so traumatic can happen and as bad as my situation was I knew that there were situations out there that were worse and I felt like I was drowning and that there wasn't a way out of it so I just couldn't even imagine like how are people still freaking alive (laughs) I just I could not even wrap my brain around it So, But after I kind of got through some of that, and this is luckily the time that I started going to therapy, so I think this is where all the doors opened for me, and this is where I suddenly became aware of this higher level of existence, where there's people who have undergone trauma, who come out freaking amazing. There are people who have done incredible things, who have survived really difficult things and come out of it as a better person. So I started to be exposed to people like this and I just became aware that there's this whole level of human existence where people are deeply spiritual and have a deep purpose in their life and they have transcended their situations in a way that was so awe-inspiring to me. And I'll go into a lot of this in in future episodes and when I talk with other people about their experiences. But I'm just going to give you a brief rundown. So I made some decisions, some very concrete decisions, because sometimes change happens in your heart, but you don't really know how to describe it and you don't know how to manifest it in the way that you act in the world. So there came a time where I started to feel like I was changing, but My life was still the same, but I wanted to show up in my life as a new person. So I've kind of had to define that and decide what actions to take to show on the outside the change that I was feeling on the inside. So here's some things. Number one is I get to decide what I believe. I come from a very conservative faith tradition. And there was a very clear set of boundaries for what my life was supposed to look like and for what I believe and for what my role as a woman is and for what my marriage is supposed to look like when I was supposed to get married, how many children I was supposed to have. I mean, it can get a little extreme. Now, saying that, it was also a very positive experience in my youth and I was extremely committed and I didn't see any problem with this until some things started to contradict So I ended up going through what a lot of people call faith crisis or faith transition. And this is a totally normal thing that happens in adulthood. But my faith tradition didn't tell me that this was a normal thing. So when it started happening to me, it was so scary. I felt like I had a foundation and I believed in God and I believed there was a plan for my life. And so when things started to not add up, it was like the ground was gone beneath me. And I have since come in contact with many, many other people of my same faith tradition who have gone through this same thing. And that community for me has been huge in overcoming the problems I've had in my marriage and the grief of my sister's loss and just deciding really what I believe as an adult woman now instead of what my parents told me to believe. And it comes to add up that there are a lot of things I decided to hold on to But now I'm at a place where if something doesn't resonate in my heart that I hear, I don't have to believe it. I get to decide what I believe. I get to decide what I teach my children. And if something doesn't jive with what I believe deep within my heart, I can throw it out. And you have no idea how amazing that feels. (laughs) It is so good to have what I have come to call a spiritual adulthood. I'm not a child anymore. I don't just do what I'm told. I do what feels right and what feels good. And if I am in tune with that higher plane, and if I'm always looking to improve and be inspired, there's a connection there, and I've just found it to be so fulfilling and wonderful. So that was a really long number one, but I decide what I believe. Number two, it kind of goes with this, perfectionism. I never would have claimed that I was a perfectionist and I used to kind of make fun of people who were perfectionists. I, I kind of am like, y'all need to chill out. <laughs> um, but I have really come to realize that maybe I'm not a perfectionist in some of the ways that other people are. Like, I never thought that I had to get straight A's. And I never thought that, I don't know, I can't even think of another example. But I, I've never considered myself to be type A. But I've, come to realize that there are definitely areas of my life where I'm holding up a standard that's not always attainable. And there's only so many hours in the day. And there's I have to choose what my priorities are. So a good example is this podcast. Actually, I am doing a lot of things right now. And something's got to give. And for me, <laughs> I am cooking crappier dinners. (laughs) That is how I'm finding time to make this podcast. When I say crappy, that sounds, I'm still trying to be healthy because that's really important to me. But I used to spend a lot of time preparing fancy meals, which is ironic because I actually don't enjoy cooking. I was doing it because that's what moms are supposed to do. And... It would make me look good in my husband's eyes. I don't know. I was I, It was a people-pleasing thing. But I finally came to the point where I'm like, you know what? I'm not a fan of cooking. I will do it, and my children will get fed. But it's not going to be anything fancy. Maybe a couple times a week, sure. But sometimes we order takeout, and sometimes we have a frozen dinner with some carrots on the side to throw <laughs> And so that has freed up some of my time and it's honestly made me a lot less stressed and it's working out so far. Yeah, something's got to give. So I, I've just allowed myself to not be perfect in that area. And there's a million other places where I could give other examples, but perfectionism sucks and I don't have to look perfect. So the number three, again, these are all so related, but number three is people pleasing Holy cow. I don't think that I'm naturally a people pleaser, but I think that the religion that I was raised in turned me into one because of the expectation of what a woman is supposed to be. And I love people. I'm social. I love connecting with people. So I think I interpreted that as I want to be where the people are. I'm Ariel. I want to be where the people are. So to do that, I have to act a certain way. And so this became very ingrained in me. But when I look at my core personality, I am outspoken. I am strong. I am brave. I am ambitious, which I tried really hard to beat out of myself for many, many years. And I told myself, I just want to have kids and grow up and make cookies for my grandkids. That is what I used to tell people when they asked me what I wanted to do with my life. I I do not know where that came from. And I think I honestly believed it. And nothing against making cookies for grandkids. I probably still will. Well, no, I probably won't do that. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know, guys. I did make a birthday cake for my daughter. It's in me somewhere. But yeah, like, what is up with that? That has nothing to do with who I am. But that was what I told people for years. So, hmm. If any of you are familiar with Elizabeth Gilbert... She's a happiness researcher, and she has a really great podcast called Happier, but she has these things called the Four Tendencies. She has a quiz you can go take, and it's very interesting. So according to her research, the Four Tendencies are people are either an upholder, an obliger, a questioner, or a rebel. So... I won't go into too much detail, but I think when it comes down to it, I'm a questioner with rebel tendencies, but I was acting like an obliger. And those things just do not fit together well. So there's just a whole lot of inner conflict. I want people to love me, but not at the expense of me loving myself and being happy in my life. I've heard people say, and this has really helped me, you are the only one who has to live with the consequences of your decisions. So I'm. this is hard for me, and I'm definitely not there yet, but I've said it out loud. Like, I am done people-pleasing. I'm not rude or socially unacceptable. I still believe in being polite and kind and giving people the benefit of the doubt and respecting that other people have different viewpoints than me. Like, that's all good. But I am not going to lie about what I believe or who I am because I want somebody to like me. I'm just not going to do it anymore. And this is easier when it's talking about strangers, but when it comes to my own immediate family, saying that out loud still fills me, fills me with a little bit of fear. I being The fear of being rejected by the people that are your family is really scary. So I still have some issues there and some things to work through, but I'm working through it and I think it's a healthy step towards becoming a more stable person. So number four, um, the idea of a woman staying small. (sighs) This is where that cookie thing comes into play, I think. It's like there was so much adoration placed upon kind of the idea of small and simple things, like you don't have to do anything great to be great in the sight of God. And I believe that, actually. Like, you don't need to be president or do anything huge to do what God called you to do on the earth or to do what you feel like your purpose is in the universe, whatever language you want to use to describe it. But (laughs) if you're born big and you're getting this message. I'm not saying that I'm meant to be a famous person. See myself correcting myself here so quickly. Oh my gosh, I'm a mess, you guys. Um, but yeah, if you feel like there's something great in your heart that you're called to do, but you have these cultural standards set up for you, it can be extremely distressing. So this is why I felt stuck for like a decade because there was a very strong voice in my heart saying you were made for more and I didn't even know what that would look like or what that was or how to do it so I just ignored it and I still don't necessarily know what exactly that means but I'm getting a clearer idea that it means if you want something you're allowed to go for it. <laughs> If you want to reach more people, you're allowed to go for it. So again, this podcast is a big deal for me. And it might not get huge, but if it did, awesome. That'd be so cool. And I'm up for it. So yeah, I don't need to try to hide myself anymore. I don't need to stay small. I don't need to have my number one answer be, I'm just a mom. Not that being a mom is bad and some people feel like that is their calling and that is wonderful and beautiful. And I completely respect it. And sometimes I wish I felt the same way because I can feel like a bad mother because I want other things. But everybody is different. Everyone has different dreams and different expectations of what they want their life to be. And yeah, I feel called to more. I feel like I want more. And that doesn't take away from my capacity to be a mother or my love for my children. But And I don't have to apologize for it. So we all need to just see each other as individuals and know that every single situation is different. People have different needs and different desires and different strengths. And let's all focus on what we rock at. Some moms are so amazing at the crafting and at the organizing activities with their kids. Other moms are killing it at work and still managing to hold their family together. And hats off, ladies. You're awesome. So... We need to focus on each other's strengths and we don't need to hide the things that we're proud about of ourselves. So another one, trying to fit the mold, kind of the same idea. (laughs) These are all just like picture little me inside of a box and breaking the box open. That's pretty much what I'm trying to sum up today. But yeah, my life doesn't have to look like other people's. I get to decide what I want it to look like and work for that constantly And visualize what I want that to be and my husband's mental illness does not have to hold me back from that it actually can be viewed as something that has made me stronger and opened my eyes to knowing more about these diseases and knowing more about how to help other people that have them so in some ways I consider it to be a gift on days when he's so grumpy that's harder to say but So lastly, number seven here, I just have given myself permission to do things for myself and for no other reason than I want to. I think that it's sad that that sounds so crazy to so many women out there. Like, if you want to do something, that's a good enough reason. It doesn't have to, well, I'm going to earn this money because then I will pay for my children's college education I mean, that's good and all, but really the truth could be you want to do this thing because it makes your soul light up and it makes you happy or it makes you laugh or you just need a break and you want to do something fun. Um, for me, I stopped singing. I, I'm a singer. And I stopped singing for years because I decided that I wasn't good enough to win American Idol. <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> I am not that good. I am not Carrie Underwood and all those people. But I'm also not bad. But I was just saying, if I'm not at this level, then I don't deserve to do it at all. And that is one of the most tragic things I've done to myself in my life. Because I love it. It makes me happy. It makes me feel alive. It feels good. It feels like self-expression and creativity and connection, and community, there was just so many wonderful parts of my life that had to do with singing. So, yeah. If something feels good to you, do it. It doesn't matter if I become famous, or release an album, or join a band that's successful. None of that matters. What matters is, I'm doing something because it feels good to do it. And it just so happens that the people who are successful at things... Are doing it from a place of excitement and love and those are the people that tend to resonate with others as well because we all want to feel that way so I think that's kind of crazy and sort of an irony but yeah if I love to do something I'm going to do it and I'm not going to compare myself to other people so this whole Process of having hard things happen and I definitely think this applies to all of us because being married to someone with a mental illness is super ridiculously hard. Not every day necessarily, there are good days too but it's just really hard and it feels unfair and we can keep telling ourselves that like this is so unfair, I didn't sign up for this, I I hate this <laughs> but we need to change the narrative if we want to change our lives. So... I, and again, I still don't have this down, but it helps to say it out loud. It helps to write it down. I believe that what has happened to me through my marriage has been what has made me into a different person. And I'm grateful to be a different person, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to keep growing. If everything had gone according to my plan... I'd probably be a super boring human being right now. (laughs) And I'd probably have really uninteresting friends that sit around and gossip about dumb stuff and just live kind of a frivolous existence. And I feel like I was called to bigger and more and to growth. And that only comes through going through the fire. It's being forged in the fire of, of pain, honestly. So if you're in pain... I want to hug you and I want to tell you that it's going to be okay. And the pain sucks, and there's really no way out of it except for through it. But there is another side, and it's going to be okay. It's going to be more than okay. You're going to be more amazing and more strong than you ever could have possibly imagined. And there's no real way to imagine it because you would never purposely put yourself in these painful situations, and you had no idea that they were coming. But when you navigate yourself through them in a positive way and decide to make positive meaning out of them there's just going to be so many good things that come from it and I just think that we are going to become unstoppable. Now that's not to say that there's not damage done because there obviously is and the damage that we get from these situations needs to be healed in a, in a healthy way. So again get some therapy, get some help, get some support from friends who understand. But just know that it's worth it to go through and become more than you are. And I'm still obviously in the process of becoming, and we all are, and it doesn't stop. It's, it's just a constant evolvement and call for bigger and better. But we can do it. We can do it together. I thank you all for listening and for subscribing. It's getting to the point where there's probably enough of us where I would love it if you, if you could write a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen. That way, people that need this are able to find it and we're able to build this community. And I want to hear from more of you. Again, the email is mentalhealthmarriage at gmail.com. Hope you guys have a good week. And I'm confident that my week's going to get better and that my husband's going to pull out of it. And for now, we're just going to buckle down and push through and give some extra hugs and hope for the best. So have a wonderful day. Talk to y'all later.